Thank you for being here. The use of a land acknowledgement is to honor and acknowledge my presence on the traditional lands of our First Nations peoples. It was a practice by First Nations people when traveling through other nations' territories as a sign of respect. I acknowledge that the city of Hamilton, where I record this podcast, is situated upon the traditional territories of the Erie, Neutral, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississaugas of the Credit First Nations. Hamilton is also directly adjacent to the Haldeman Treaty Territory. This land is also covered by the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Covenant. It was an agreement between the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabe, which extends between Montreal and Fort Erie. That wampum uses the symbolism of a dish to represent the territory, and one spoon to represent that the people are to share the resources of the land and only take what they need. Hamilton is home to many Indigenous peoples from across Turtle Island. This land acknowledgement is a small gesture to recognize the rich history of this land, and so that I can better understand my role as a settler, as well as a neighbor, partner, and caretaker. I stand in solidarity with the murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls, transgender, and two-spirited people, and all those that fight for justice on their behalf. Miigwech. Thank you. Welcome to the arena, where sometimes the hardest part is showing up. My name is Linda McLaughlin. Thank you for being here. I recently began reading Lyle McKinney's blog called Just Enough to Get Me in Trouble. His writing draws you in immediately. And while these stories from his life are sometimes jaw-dropping and heartbreaking, they are profoundly human. They are also beautifully written. There is a wisdom and positivity that needs to be amplified. I'm grateful to be able to share this conversation with you. Thank you for listening. This is episode 33. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate the opportunity and imagine that this is not an easy conversation and want you to give yourself the permission to step back from it if it just gets a little too intense. I appreciate that. I think it'll be okay though. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. I feel like at this point I've like talked about it enough that it's, I wouldn't say I'm used to it, but it's just, I think it's important to talk about it and talk through it for me. And then if I can have more people understand this world that I'm in and, or th- experiences I've had, I think that can help people and make them more empathetic. So I think it's important. Good. Okay. So I've written up my standard sort of intro for you, but feel free to jump in and correct me as I go along. Lyle McKinney, you're a son, brother, husband, and father. You're a bass guitar player and blogger. You're in the process of writing your first book, a memoir about your rocky introduction to fatherhood, the powerful love you have for your family, and the incredible challenges you've faced. In 2001, you were part of a band that was taking off. You'd recorded an album, your single was out on the radio, your music video was on MTV2, and you were about to launch yourself into the world as a rock star. And then that same week, two planes flew into the World Trade Center and your music career came to a halt. All of the promotion for your album ground to a halt while the world focused on the events of 9-11. Fast forward a few years, and you've met the love of your life. Your wife is newly pregnant, and suddenly wildfires force you to flee your home in Sonoma. 
fortunately, your home and family are spared. Months later, your daughter is born. But the doctor suddenly has to perform CPR on her to save her life. She's airlifted to another hospital, and in the following week, she stops breathing again, and the doctors and nurses have to save her life twice. You learn that your daughter has cerebral palsy due to the lack of oxygen to her brain when she was born. Your life and the life of your family has been thrust into a world of specialists and an adjusted view of your future. Your father, meanwhile, has been dealing with prostate cancer and is deteriorating. And the pandemic is keeping you from seeing him. I'm going to stop there because there's still more to your story, but you should tell it. Welcome to the arena, Lyle. Thank you, Linda. I appreciate being here. You're welcome. Just reading that and sharing that is a lot for me just to process as somebody who hasn't actually been through it. And I appreciate your courage in coming to share your story, the multiple stories that you have about what's happening, because it's not as though, okay, now this is done and you're out of it. This is now what you're continuing to go through in terms of the care of your daughter and the care of your family, the care of yourself, and the many challenges that that presents. So is there anything else about that story that I know your father actually has since passed away? Yeah. Almost exactly a month ago. Yeah. Oh, it was a month ago. Oh my gosh. Okay. So yeah. When you read it back, it's, it is a lot. And yeah, I've had, and there's even some stuff, like you said, that happened in between all that. I was married and got divorced. <laughs> so there's other things as well. But I think a lot of us go through a lot of different trials and tribulations. And I think maybe some of mine have been a bit more intense uh, than others. And this latest one in particular with uh, my daughter is obviously the biggest, I would say the biggest life-changing moment for me, period, because it's not something like even with my band where you mentioned the single comes out and then 9-11 happens and that derails our plans and my career trajectory I had in mind. But still, that's just a career. And the likelihood of it succeeding was probably low anyway, because it's very hard to make it as a musician, whether or not something way outside of your control, unprecedented happens. But something like what happened with my daughter, it changes your life forever because she has a lifelong disability. And, and it's hard to know what the future holds. Your focus goes more towards just day to day, getting through you know, whatever life deals you next. But as my daughter's turning three next week, a week mm. from tomorrow, so she's still very young. And so there's still a lot to figure out with her life and what it's going to look like and what she's going to be capable of doing or not capable of doing. But at the same time, we're very thankful for where we live. We live in California and in our area in particular in Sonoma, there's lots of resources available and laws in place that give her access to things that people who decades ago were championing these changes have made it as easy as it possibly could be given the situation. It's this whole other world that we don't even really know about when you're part of the non-disabled world, but we're extremely grateful that it exists and I've met some amazing people within it too. And how is your daughter doing? She's doing really well, actually. She's so to give a bit of context for anyone listening. So she has cerebral palsy, which can mean a lot of different things. There can be 
people that you meet that have it that you would never know, and they have just a very mild form of it. The basic idea is that a part of the brain is injured and it affects motor movements, muscle movements. And so for some people, they might have a little trouble walking normally, and they can do some physical therapy and get better at it. And some of them might wear like braces on their ankles and feet to help you know, stabilize themselves. And then you have the other extreme, which is where they can't really do anything. Emily's definitely more on that end of the spectrum where she's, like I said, almost three and she can't walk. She can't crawl. She can't even really roll over on her own on the ground. And then when we have her, we have this specialty chair for her. And when she's in there, she has a tough time holding her head up consistently. And we have different devices and things like that to help her with things. And then obviously like therapists, both uh, physical and occupational therapists that can help try to create new pathways in her brain. Because she's so young, her brain's still developing. So they can form new pathways and stuff, but it's never going to be perfect. And so she'll need some sort of uh, help or assistance probably for the rest of her life. Let me just take you back in your own life, first of all, to what growing up was like for you. What was dinner conversation like around the dinner table when you were growing up? I had a good childhood. We were never like without food at the table. My dad was in real estate and did fairly well and worked really hard. With anything like you're selling, it's uh, there's down years and there's there's good years. I think back very fondly about my childhood and talks around the table were, it's funny you mentioned that and I'd listened to some of the episodes and other people's answers. So I do think about how I would take forever to eat and it would annoy my parents so much because, <laughs> and I would joke that I was like, well, I'm enjoying my food and just taking my time. But yeah, I would imagine a lot of conversations about baseball because I was obsessed with it and playing it a lot. Are you a faster eater now? And like, <laughs> yeah, it's... much faster. Now I'm very lucky when it comes to, to food and dinner because my wife's a dietitian and she loves to cook ah. and she loves to cook very healthy for us. So I definitely eat way healthier than I would if I was left to my own devices. <laughs> but it's funny, but I, I did think a lot about this idea of dinner time. And that's a really important thing in our household too. And having my stepdaughter, when she's with us, we always eat together. And then Emily, so that was one thing I didn't mention is Emily, uh, she doesn't eat anything by mouth because she has trouble swallowing. Mm. And she oftentimes will, we've looked at it on an x-ray and she'll have bits of what she's eating go into her lungs. So we have to to be careful because she could get pneumonia. So she gets everything through a feeding tube that's on her belly. It's called a, a G tube or gastronomy tube. But still, if she has a meal at that time, we'll have her in her kind of specialty chair next to us and we'll be feeding her at the same time. But yeah, it's definitely unique because everything for her meals is all on a schedule. And it's just every couple hours she gets a little bit more and we push it through a syringe. And so it's a unique thing compared to what most parents have to deal with and trying to get their kids to eat different things. We don't really have to do that, but obviously there's other challenges with it. <laughs> so my next question is always one of those, it seems like an obvious answer, but what event in your life has had the most profound impact on you? Yeah, there's been a few, right? <laughs> like you mentioned at the top of the band, that was for a long time, the biggest thing that was the life changing event and something that I would think back about a lot. And it's weird because 
I would think of it almost like a failure in my life mm. at times, mm. even though it was obviously something completely out of my control that had this massive impact on what we were doing and where we were trying to go. But that we had other friends who had albums come out like a month later and they did a lot better than we did. But like I said before, it's, we don't really know if that was the only reason that it didn't do as well. But yeah, it's like one of those, you get into that woulda, shoulda, coulda mindset sometimes. But the more I've had time, it's been almost 20 years now, the more I've had time to think about it, the more I realized like I was lucky to even get where I got to because it's really hard to even get signed as an artist and on a major record label. So I should be proud of that too. I can still send a YouTube video of my professionally made video that costs way too much money to make to to my <laughs> friends or whatever, which most people can't say that I ever did that. And, and, and most people who pick up an instrument never get to play in front of a big crowd or anything like that. So I'm, I'm thankful that I got to do that. But then other life events like getting divorced was another one that was an unexpected thing that happened. But then it's again, it's like you give it time and you think, okay, well, actually a pretty unhealthy relationship. And I think I'm now glad that it happened, even though it really was not fun at the time. And I, I hope I can get to a point with my daughter where I look back and go, I can't imagine it happening in any other way. Because sometimes maybe me with me less so than my wife, Allison, but there are times where you can play the comparison game and see a kid that's around the same age as her and what they're doing and, you know, compare it to what she, she can't do. But then Allison, my wife, who had my stepdaughter, Sarah, who's now 12, she's not disabled or anything and, and was actually like quite advanced at, at her age and talked really early and walked really early and all that kind of stuff. And it's obviously a stark difference between my stepdaughter, Sarah, and my daughter, Emily, for from Allison's point of view. Me, a little less so because I had never had a kid before. And I knew Sarah since she was four, but not when she was very young, like Emily. But obviously the biggest time we notice things are when we were at some event when there's other kids that are around her age and you see them running around and talking and eating cake at a party or whatever. And it's like all those things she can't do. So those moments are difficult, but I hope over time more we meet other people, especially now that we're coming out of this, fingers crossed, coming out of this pandemic and be able to meet more people within the disability community. And I hope it gets to the point where I look back and go, I can't really picture it being any different and being thankful for uh, where we're at. But I think it's going to take some time. <laughs> and as you alluded to the distance from the event itself, and given other things that happen in your life, it starts to put things into perspective. I think a lot of people have like big events that happen in their life, whether it's like someone passing unexpectedly, or like I said, divorce. Obviously a lot of people deal with that. I think it's like at least 50% of people who get married, which is pretty crazy statistic. What does living a courageous life mean to you? I think living a courageous life is just keeping going. It's so easy to just get bogged down in what's going wrong or what has gone wrong or the crummy hand you've gotten dealt or whatever. But I think it's just about persevering and going forward and realizing that you can't just stay stagnant. There's obviously time to grieve and things like that. But I think courage is going, you know what, I'm going to pick myself up and keep going. And I think that's a big part of it. And it takes time. I, I think about the situation with my daughter and 
I was actually right before we got on this call, I was talking with some other parents of special needs children who all live in the area where I live. And my daughter's three. So if I look back to when she was one or something like that, about to turn one, I was not ready to even like connect with other families necessarily and and certainly not write about it like I am now. You know, it took a little while. Her situation became a little less acute on a day-to-day basis. And that gives you a little time to breathe and think about things and go, you know what? I want to connect with some other folks and learn a little bit more about this world that we got thrust into. And then writing about it has been therapeutic for me. And the feedback I've gotten back has been amazing, even though my audience isn't massive, but there's a few hundred people that are reading my stuff every week. And I'm working on a longer form book about these last few years. Well, it's fresh in my mind and I can remember a bunch of details and I want to capture that and share it with the world and hope that I can affect other people and gives people an insight into what it's like because it's not easy. And I'm thinking back to my previous self before I was in this world. And if I had come across something like I'm writing, it would have been eye-opening as to what it's like. So I try to think about it in those terms. Like if I'm writing to my younger self, who is not oblivious to these things, but there are people who are dealing with hardships and disability and stuff like that. But it's like, you don't, aren't really like that steeped in what it's actually like unless you know someone. So if I could give people a peek into that and have them sit in those moments with me, I think that can be valuable to the world. At least that's my hope. It's very powerful writing. The way that you've written your stories, it's extremely accessible and flows beautifully it's a tough go in terms of the subject matter and all of the events that you're reading about, but your writing is really compelling. And obviously the story is extremely compelling as well. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope it's not all just feeling like that the whole time. There's more, there'll be more that I'll have bits of levity and stuff like that too. Cause, cause that's, that's who I am. And like, that's life, right? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, for sure. Yeah. What goals do you still want to achieve? You've talked a little bit about the book, but are there are there other goals in your life that you'd like to achieve? That's the biggest one for me at the moment is the book. First of all, just getting it done. Yes. My goal is to get at least the first draft of manuscript done by the end of this year. I think that's possible. And then after that, I don't really know. I'll have to navigate the world of like how to actually get it out. Just that'll feel like an amazing accomplishment, just getting the first draft done. Because it's a big project. It's, it's one of those things where you do it and you go, I, don't, I can't believe how many people actually write books. Because it's really hard <laughs> and it takes a ton of time. And it's just amazing that so many people actually do it every year because, yeah, it's not easy. And then otherwise, I think I'm ambitious as far as what I want to accomplish with my writing and being a public figure, if that makes sense. And it's funny because I thought back to being in the band and that was what I was trying to do there, trying to go big. And even I played poker professionally for a little while, which I don't think you, I don't know. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Poker (laughs) player. I forgot to put that in. And I was like trying to get into big events. That was like, what? (laughs) It was like a hobby. And then I got good at it. And then I was making more money doing that. And I went, let's just try this for a while. I played in some bigger events, but they never really went as well as I had hoped. And then with the writing, it feels like I've tried to do a bunch of things that are, or even startups. I was in startups and tried to start a company a couple of different times. All of these are very hard things to do with low odds of succeeding. But for some reason, I'm drawn to that type of stuff. 
the writing feels similar to the music in the sense that it's about being creative. And I'm writing about real life events that happen, but piecing them together in a hopefully like creative way and mm -hmm. telling a compelling story for the reader. It's a creative endeavor. It's not just getting the book done and writing every week like I do, but just keeping it going. It's yeah. really easy to stop and just go back to your old ways of binging Netflix <laughs> every night because that's way easier. It's hard to create and it takes a lot of mental energy and you're oftentimes you feel like you're screaming into the void. I imagine you can relate a little bit as you know someone who started a podcast, but I think part of it is just keeping going. It's like a war, a war of attrition in a way. But the people who do well, just they just keep going. So that's a big thing for me. But then in the midst of all that, I want to balance that with also being present when it comes to my family and my stepdaughter and my daughter, because I think it's really easy to get bogged down with work or like some big goal I have when it comes to my writing and all that, that it could be really easy to have family take a back seat and just focus on that stuff. But that's, I'm not going to do that. And that's really important to me as well. That desire to put yourself out there is present in everything that you're doing. You've done so many different things that so many people just wouldn't, right? You are going after it and trying to do it. Yeah. I think a lot of times I have this mindset of like, why not me? I, I think yeah. a lot of people will go, oh, I, I couldn't possibly succeed at whatever they're thinking about. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm like, why not? <laughs> Might as well give yeah. it a shot. And it's funny because I don't feel particularly extroverted in that sense where I want to be this like center of attention necessarily. But I guess there's maybe a little bit of that in there too. I don't know. What's essential to living a courageous life? You know, I've had times where it's you feel just down in the dumps about something and things not going your way, or even on a very small level, like I write something that I spend a lot of time on and, you know, feel really good about it. And then it doesn't really do as well as I'd hoped and going, well, okay, let's try it again next week. And yeah, I think it's, that's part of it. And just not being afraid to put yourself out there. I think I mm -hmm. got to that point at one point where it's, I was in the band and obviously we we're putting ourselves out there like on stage and playing in front of lots of people and going on tour and stuff like that. And that was an amazing experience and unlike anything else I've ever experienced since really. But it, but then for a while there, it was like my creative muscles atrophied and then you don't, I was so used to just being on stage and being in front of people and being comfortable in my own skin in that sense. And that kind of goes away after a while too, at least for me it did. I think other people were maybe more inclined to be extroverted and stuff wouldn't be that way. But I feel like if you have something to say and you think it's important, then find a way to do that. It doesn't have to be writing like I do it. It could be starting a YouTube channel or whatever. It could be just starting a little nonprofit in your area about mm -hmm. something you think is important. And I think those are the people that other folks can look up to and say, wow, they're really courageous for putting themselves out there. Like I mentioned, I was on a call right before this and there's a woman in this area who started a nonprofit and she started this Facebook group for parents that have special needs children. And there's, this isn't a huge area, but there's over 400 parents in there. And wow, we otherwise would never have been connected to each other. And it was because this person who she has a son who's seven and he has down syndrome. And, and she said, you know what, there's nothing here. I should start that. And that takes some yeah. courage and gumption or whatever you want to call it to, to, go, I'm going to do this. And I think it's important. And I'm going to stick my hand up and say, Hey, join me. It takes that first person sometimes to do that. I think a lot of us have those nagging feelings, but it's 
easier to maybe just send a tweet or a Facebook message than it is to actually go and try to enact some change. And that's where I think like my writing's been great because it's it solves a couple things for me. It, it helps me feel creative again and and then also be heard. Nobody can interrupt me. I feel like when I'm in groups, I get interrupted a lot for some reason. Maybe I just don't talk that loud or I'm not sure what it is. But but when I'm writing, I have your undivided attention for a little while. And so I can have you sit in those moments with me and hopefully make you feel a little different afterwards. What impact do you want to have on the world? Yeah, I think like I said earlier is creating a little bit more empathy in the world, especially nowadays. Maybe a little, I guess you're not in the United States, but you probably Mm -hmm. feel these effects too from just like the political climate and then online discourse. It's a lot of us versus them and people picking sides. And I can't tell me how many times I've seen something people say, you're either for this or you're against it. And I'm like, well, there's a middle ground here and let's talk about that. There's nuance. And and I think Mm -hmm. the one thing that's nice about writing is you can dig into that stuff, especially longer form writing. And I think it's easy to write off people who have a disability and not see them as fully human, but they are. And their caretakers are too, right? So that's a big part of it for me and just creating a little bit more empathy in the world towards people that are dealing with hard situations. Mm. What would you do on your last day? My last day. It's interesting you say that because I just spent the last day with my father. That was my real first experience with someone I was I'm close with passing and being there for it. And I know I've known people that have passed. My grandmother recently passed, and other people in my family, but not someone as close to me as my dad. And then, not I've never actually been there in the room basically when it happens. So. I would say that the last day was not exactly fun, but for him or us, but I don't know how much he actually knew what was going on. But this is a really, I would say, dark way to answer your question. But the last day oftentimes isn't that great. So I would want to think about like my last great day with my family or something like that. And it doesn't have to be anything too outlandish. Oh my God, I got a day to live. I'm going to go do all these things. It's just hanging out with my family and at our house, like nothing special, just spending time with the people that I love. It would be important to me at the end. If you had the opportunity to have a five minute conversation with somebody living or dead, who would that be? And what would the nature of the conversation be? Hmm. That's interesting. I know it's recent, but it would be nice to be able to chat with my dad again for a little while. There was an interesting moment actually. So I went out, so he lives, he lived in Vegas most of the time. So he had prostate cancer, but he went to the hospital because he was having some like chest pains and trouble breathing. Turned out he had a, like this kind of rare form of pneumonia called Legionnaires, which we found out later. So he had a rough night at the hospital and then it was a Sunday and that morning he basically said, I'm done. And he was pretty coherent and he was on some pain meds and stuff, but it was like, He's like, I understand what's happening, but I'm done. And so it was that moment I went, okay, I'm going to jump on a plane and get over there. And so I did. And he was asking when I was going to be there because basically he knew that they were just going to make him very comfortable and he would be probably less aware of what was going on. But I was able to get there in time and at least talk with him briefly. And then he passed the next day on that Monday. But one interesting thing happened where he's going to be buried at Memorial Park because he was in the service. It's actually not far from my home in Sonoma. 
he was in Vietnam and he flew helicopters. And mm. so we were trying to figure out what should be on his uh, tombstone. And there's some rules because it's a military thing and as to what could be put on there. And so I was, I got the number for a buddy of his from Vietnam who he still talked to a lot. And I texted him and said, Hey, I'm trying to figure out what to, what we're going to write on this thing. And then he sent me back screenshots of a text conversation that my dad and him had uh, about this and trying to figure out what made sense. And there was limits on like how much could fit on the thing and stuff. But it was interesting because it was almost like being able to ask my dad, even though he wasn't with us anymore. So it was a kind of a strange moment. It was like, I just had a, a, a brief conversation with my dad where I could ask him like, Hey, what'd you want on this tombstone, by the way? Because we hadn't had a chance to talk about it. So that was a cool sort of surreal moment that happened a couple of days after he passed. But, so in a way, it feel, felt like I had that little mini conversation with him. But yeah, I mean, there are little times where things come up. I know it's only been a month, but I'm sure it'll happen here and there where I go, ah, I wish I could share that with my dad. Or So I think partially because it's so recent, that would be my choice. And you had a little bit of synchronicity when you were flying home as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a bit surreal as well. As we were taking off, and I look out to the window to my left and I saw a military style helicopter of some sort that was descending to land. And yeah, it was one of those moments that makes your heart stop for a second. And then I was just on the plane by myself. But then I, as we were flying away, I was just in my mind, just said bye to him. Um, and it was weird because it was like, and this is what I wrote about is he was gone in the sense that he's not alive, but like I knew he was like somewhere in Vegas at a morgue. I didn't know where, but, and so he's, he's not really like physically gone yet, but he's gone, but also not because he lives on in my mind and others and the outpouring of support when I posted about it on Facebook and just the people that came out of the woodworks that he had worked with in real estate. And so he knew just a ton of people within the industry mm -hmm. in the Bay Area. And it was amazing just how many people came out and just said really nice things about him. And he was a mentor to a lot of people. And then obviously all the people that he was in the service with and he was still friends with up until his last days. It was like two days before he, or three days before he passed or something like that, he did a Zoom call with a bunch of army buddies of his. So yeah, it was, it happened quickly, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's not suffering anymore because he was having a rough go there for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? I don't think so. We talked about a lot. This was really good. You tapped into some stuff. I've talked to some other people and you tapped into some things that reminded me of things that I hadn't thought of before. So that or in a while. So yeah, that was good. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And my deep condolences for your, the loss of your father. And so recently and you're incredibly composed considering how recent that is. Thank you. I'm sure you'll have Appreciate some it. reflections on Father's Day coming up. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this that's going to be an interesting day. Just yeah, for that, and then also like my experience as a father too. So I was even thinking the other day, like a helicopter flew by, and it's I'd see a helicopter, and now I think of him, and I also think of my daughter because when she was born, she had to be choppered over to a different hospital within a few hours. So. It's mm. like in in an instant you see a helicopter and you think of life and death and all these like hard things. But yeah, so there are those little reminders that come up for sure. What would you say to someone whose father who's 
been thrust into this situation like you were three years ago, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I think that's hard because everyone's situation can be so different, but just having patience, that's so huge because it's going to, everything's going to take way longer and child development's going to be excruciatingly slow. And it's making sure you're, if you have a partner that you're connecting with them and you're helping each other out and you're, that was so huge with Allison and I just someone's having a bad day. You can't both have a bad day. So picking up the slack when someone else is having a tough time and talking through things and being there for them. That's a big part of it too. That I think doesn't get talked about a lot. You talk about the situation with your child who has a disability, but then there's managing your partner relationship. But as a father, you can feel, I think even with a typical child, I think you could feel like useless at times because you're not feeding the baby from your body like the mother can be. And so you got to find other ways to help and to be involved. Now, in my case, it's stuff like helping put M into her like standard device. And then in the evenings, we've been doing this walker thing that she got and she's starting to get better at. And so working with her on that while my wife's cooking dinner or something. And it's just little things like that. But yeah, I mean, we talked about like divorce rates earlier, like the divorce rates for couples that have a child with a disability are like off the charts. They're like, it's really bad. And we saw that early on. We went, okay, we need to be very mindful of that and be there for each other. And we did therapy and things like that too. At times we haven't needed that lately, which is good, but it's hard. You're going to have really hard days. So it's really good to have a partner that's supportive, you know, not to mention all the other stuff you have going on in your life, like work and that kind of stuff. So thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, Linda. It's been a real privilege to speak to you. And I just wish you well with your, your writing and please keep going because I think the stories and the perspective that you're sharing and the resilience that you're demonstrating is going to be so important for someone to see and hear. And for those of us who are not dealing with and are not in the midst of what you're going through, can learn so much, as you're saying, about what it is to have a child with a disability, to appreciate your your able-bodiedness and, mm-hmm. and to help able-bodied people peer into the world of disability and have, as you say, some more compassion and some more empathy for um, the parents as well as the, the children. Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, really appreciate you bringing me on. This was a lot of fun and it good. made me think deeply about some stuff, which I appreciate too. Good, good. I have ideas That's for good. writing pieces now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Glad to be able to help contribute to that. The writing is is an awesome task, but it's uh, it's so rewarding at the same time. Let's continue the conversation. I'm following your blog, so I'm looking forward to reading more of your writing. Cool. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. As I was finishing this episode, I received Lyle's latest post called A Letter to My Daughter for her third birthday on June 4th. I thought I'd read you an excerpt. Today's piece is a letter to my daughter, if that wasn't obvious from the title. I read it aloud to her and my wife on her third birthday, which was yesterday. She's nonverbal, so I don't know if she'll understand the words, but I hope she felt the love I have for her in my voice. And I hope you can feel it by reading my words, too. Dear M, 
I know you won't be able to read this for many years, but I want to capture this moment in our lives together as a time capsule of sorts. So here goes. Today is your third birthday. It's hard to believe so much time has passed. I'm incredibly proud to be your dad. Your entry into this world was difficult. It was the hardest day of my life. Yes, it was difficult for your mom and me. More importantly, it was difficult for you. For a while there, we thought we lost you, and we weren't going to be able to meet you. I will be forever indebted to the man who saved your life, for sure. But you fought hard, too, and without that, you wouldn't have survived. And I've seen you fighting every day since. It has been amazing watching you grow up, get stronger and more determined. Your strength, perseverance, and toughness are inspiring. Your rough start to life caused your cerebral palsy. There wasn't enough blood and oxygen getting to your brain for a period of time, and that injured it at birth. This is why it can be hard for you to do certain things that are easy for most people to do without thinking. Things like walking, talking, and eating. This is why you have an incredible team of specialists and therapists who help you. This is why you will be going to a special preschool class in the fall. While your cerebral palsy is obviously a large part of your life, I want you to know something. Your disability does not define who you are as a human being. You're not defined by your struggles or your limitations. You're not defined by your diagnosis or your medical history. You're not defined by a category or a label assigned to you by society. No one can define you except for you. When I look at you, I see a girl who loves life. I see a girl who loves music. I see a girl who's opinionated, especially when it comes to music. I see a girl who loves to go for walks in her stroller. I see a girl who works hard at her therapies. I see a girl who has been doing great in her new walker lately. I see a girl who loves playing with her toys. I see a girl who loves her family. I see a girl who has an infectious smile. As you get older, you will get to choose who you want to be and how you want to show up in the world. I promise to support you and help you no matter what. While your body may prevent you from doing some things, I truly believe you can accomplish almost everything else in your life you set your mind to. And I have a feeling you're going to shoot for the moon. Hopefully not literally, although that would actually be kind of amazing. Don't let your disability hold you back from your dreams. He continues, but I'll let you read the rest of it on his blog. Thank you for listening. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast. And if someone else might benefit from listening to this episode, please share it. And if you enjoyed it, please leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. They really do help. And I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to reach out via my podcast website at www.thearena-podcast.com. I look forward to sharing my next episode for Father's Day. Until next time, my name is Linda McLaughlin in The Arena.